This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. If you have solar power in your house, that doesn't mean that that solar power is going to be available if there's a public safety power shutoff, because most solar systems are connected into your panel, your house. Hi, welcome to EM Weekly, your emergency management podcast. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe. And this week, we are talking about the public safety power shutoff. We'll get into what that means a little bit later. But in light of the power failure that happened in New York City, and they said that there's most likely going to be two or three more power outages like that in the city this year due to uh, the heat. You know, let's talk a little bit about power. I know that we've had Michael maybe on before to talk about the grid. We're going to try to get him back on the show uh, again to talk more about the uh, vulnerabilities of, of the grid and what that means for us. And we need to talk about it as emergency managers. Uh, you know, how do we deal with large scale power outages? And it's more than just, you know, people losing their ice cream in their freezer, right? Some people are on respirators and things like that. So let's get into it and let's welcome Michael Cockrell to the show. Now onto the interview. Hey, Michael, welcome to Ian Weekly. Thank you. It was nice uh, to be able to do this. So if you aren't in California, you might not know about this, uh, but California specifically, PG&E started it. And then I know that um, Southern California Edison is doing it as well. We have this thing called the Public Safety Power Shutoff. It's kind of hard to say sometimes. And the idea behind it is when the winds come up and the humidity index is at the right place, what we call a red flag warning, they're going to go ahead and shut power off because, well, Northern California had a few fires and Central California had a few fires and Southern California had a few fires that were indicated that it was started by electrical issues. So uh, Michael has done a whole series, and we'll, we'll put the links to it, um, on the public safety power shutoff. So Michael, tell me a little bit about... What is this, and, and how does it affect emergency management? Well, as you mentioned, uh, there were several of the major energy companies in California got together, and they're all facing the same kind of issues, uh, being sued if there was a fire and, and maybe one of their transmission lines or poles uh, caused it. So it was uh, uh, San Diego Gas and Electric, Southern California Edison, and Pacific Gas Electric Company. Uh, as we know, PG&E. Up in our area in Northern California, it's mostly PG&E, but uh, get down into Southern California or Central California, then the other two come into play. And they decide rather than try to have their own criterias, do their own, even though they are doing their own outreach, but do some kind of a consolidated effort on uh, um, handouts and, and tips for businesses, tips for the residents on what to, to follow. And the intent was to if if the conditions 
uh, came up that fit their criteria, then they would try to limit the area that would be turned off. But if it was something that was going to threaten the whole grid, then they may have to do a major shutdown that could affect uh, much of the, the state, not just PG&E. And that's uh, where they're at. Uh, uh, they did actually do this, and that was one of the issues uh, that PG&E tries to stress is that they will try to give 24 to 48 hours of warning, but they will attempt it. And uh, what happened uh, June 7th up in the city of town of Winters, it's north of Sacramento, they decide they need to, to shut down uh, the power around a lake called Lake Berryessa. By the time they got to notify the counties uh, and got maps put together, it was about 10 o'clock at night, 6.30 in the next morning, they shut down. So can't be guaranteed you'll get that much warning. That's what their goal is. And the, the criteria they use, you're, you're right on some of them, but the National Weather Service is one of their main criteria is red flag warning. And that's actually a combination of humidities and sustained winds. And they have this grid uh, where they try to figure out, okay, what the wind pattern is, how much uh, uh, humidity is, and they, they decide whether to do a red flag warning. But the utilities also look at um, uh, forecasted sustained winds for themselves, uh, dry fuel, actual observations. More and more of them are starting to put their own cameras out or have people out in the field. And uh, then they decide, you know, their field crews, then they can decide on whether to shut it down. But they do try to keep it as minimum area as possible. So a couple of things on that. One is, is I know the hospitals uh, and, and other um, uh, critical infrastructure places like this are supposed to have uh, emergency backup, right? So your your long-term care facilities, hospitals, um, some schools will have emergency uh, backup power, that is. But what about those homes that, uh, you know, group homes, um, individuals that are living, you know, at a house would they have uh, critical uh, life um, devices that are there as well? How do they prepare for or, or do they even know that when the shutoff goes down, that they might lose power where they're sustaining life with that, uh, like oxygen, for instance, or uh, uh, breathing machines, whatever? Well, that's a, g- a good question. We actually ran into some of these issues back when uh, we were leading up to the year 2000 turnover is who needs power? And that was one of the, the main concerns is that your main hospitals may have power, but a lot of the um, uh, secondary uh, care homes, re- re- rehab homes, et cetera, now, are they prepared for that? And more and more of those are also going to power. But then you have the, the homebound person. Uh, one of the big issues that's been coming up is what about uh, people who are at home under hospice? You can't just pack them up. If there's a 24-hour notice from the utility saying we're going to shut power off, uh, are they ready? And what we try to address in Y2K planning, which is this is something for emergency managers to think about now, is is having those home care providers make sure they contact their their clients to see if they need uh, extra batteries. Do they know where to go in their community if the, the power goes off and they do the batteries charged or replaced? Um, and uh, we used to do that 
in San Joaquin County twice a year coming into winter and going into summer is checking with the fire stations in the cities who has a place that these people can go to just to get a little bit of help, you know, like again, charging up a battery or something like that. So that's a, a big effort that jurisdictions should be uh, uh, addressing right now is those home provider companies. Are they checking with their clients? Does your public health, your environment health or your behavior health, they have their own client base are they contacting these people to see are they ready and uh, what their needs may be? Some cities and counties are actually making up lists of people who call and say, hey, if there's a power outage, I'm going to need help. And some cities are actually going to uh, be aggressive about it and go out and actually contact these people, kind of like a, 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 a vacation check or a, a health and safety check to make sure, are you okay? So there's a cost associated with that for the cities to do those vacation checks, um, health checks, helping out with the batteries, if you will, with people that are, are, are that need to have that help. Yes, it, yes, there is. Yeah. Right. And are, are we able to um, bill back the power companies for those things that we're doing for them because their customers no longer have power? Well, uh, PG&E is making it very clear from the outset that they're not going to be responsible for uh, spoiled foods and uh, and the, the, the consequences of a power outage. Their goal is to protect the grid to make sure there is no fires. That's, that's what they feel. They feel they give enough warning out there. They're going out and having uh, community meetings with people to, to try to encourage people to be ready if they feel that uh, they're going to be impacted to pre-plan a place to go. Uh, you may have to go into another county uh, to get away from these outages. And again, those people who don't have any transportation, uh, they're, they're low, very, very low income. They may not know anybody, no family members. Uh, those are the ones that are easy can fall to the cracks. But they're, uh, I haven't heard any utilities saying that we will reimburse you for the excess costs it takes for you to prepare. And again, going back to Y2K and some of these other past disasters, um, we should have already addressed some of these issues, you know, so that it won't be such a big, big uh, step that we'll have to do to jump into an outage. I was having a conversation with a group of people doing a little um, preparedness uh, event that they were doing and they asked me to come speak. And we got into the conversation regarding generators and, and somebody asked if we should have generators. And, and the guy said, of course you should. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to be prepared. Generators can keep your refrigerator going, you know, things like this. And kind of got into the conversation regarding what size and whatnot. And then one of the participants asked me, oh, should I, you know, have a bunch of fuel, gas, you know, stored in my garage, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't recommend that. And they're like, well, where should we keep the fuel? So then we had this huge conversation of how much fuel they should have on hand and, you know, what's the storage of it and can you stabilize it? And I, I started thinking at that point going, so we're now going to ask people to have electric generators um, in their homes or around their homes with long-term fuel storage. You know, and, and how dangerous is that compared to uh, not having that stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah, that is a main concern. Matter of fact, the in part one of our our power 
shut off videos, we went up to the town of Winters, who was just outside of the outage area. And that's what he was getting people coming in asking for by generators. And he was trying to steer them to the right gauge of wire. Uh, if you're going to plug your generator with an extension cord to run into your house, the proper type of uh, storage container, you know, some vent, some don't. Uh, be careful that it's, it's in the shade somewhere. If it's in the garage, you know, you got power uh, pilot lights in your water heater. Uh, it's a really, really serious step to buy a generator and store fuel. Yeah, some fire departments are saying they don't want that. You know, they don't want a new more homes now being uh, at a higher threat. You get in the wintertime, I mean, the summertime, yeah, you get this uh, expansion of your storage containers. The other bad thing about generators, I happen to have two myself, but uh, uh, you got to test them. You know, it's, uh, it's like your lawnmower. If you don't start it once in a while, you're going to be out there cranking it, or if it's, you have a key start, your battery's going to be dead. So you have to know how to turn it on. Uh, if you do have a generator uh, on ours, there's a little, I developed a little start sheet and a, a shutdown sheet so that my wife can turn on or off if I'm not here. Uh, so testing it, uh, the right size, uh, if you got to know how much draw that generator. So if you buy a 2000 watt generator or three, uh, you got to know when do you meet that, that maximum, how much is your refrigerator going to run, uh, your freezer, your microwave, what lights. Uh, so that's something that somebody should consider. You can actually, well, I actually bought a little piece of equipment called uh, kilowatt you can plug it in to your your appliance and into the wall and it tells you how much it's drawn so you can actually come up with a little spreadsheet saying okay i have a, a three and a, a two thousand watt generator i can do this up to the point where i'm i'm exceeding my generator and, and then how do you get that power into your house you got to make sure stop by a, a door that can vent uh gas into your house uh, uh, so me, again, I'm a little bit more extreme. Uh, we developed a pass-through uh, uh, portal through the the wall so I can run a, gener uh, a, a right gauge extension cord into the house and then feed off uh, extension cords to those minimum things that we want to run. Uh, the other concern about those generators, uh, if you have it connected to your house, uh, your local utilities wants to make sure that they come and check that to make sure it was installed correctly. If you pass a cable through your house, you know, you now you got a window that's unlocked. To, you know, what's the safety uh, for that? So having a generator is, is a serious step. Again, testing it, storing the fuel, buying the right size extension cords so you don't overheat the extension cord, and uh, and then having it checked with the utilities uh, or your, your city just to make sure you connected it right. Uh, and your neighbors will probably want to borrow off of that. Right. You, you know, and like, you know, how do we tell the residents in our cities to say, you know, <laughs> we get a generator, but I don't recommend you using it properly unless you know how to use it properly. And then it goes back to the cost expense, right? I mean, you can go get a great solar system and use the Tesla wall that will run your house. 
but who can afford that, right? You know, and then or you could do wind turn generators. There are all these things that you could do for alternative uh, electricity here in, in California specifically. Uh, you know, it might be harder in other parts of the country to do it because of snow. You know, uh, uh, but you know, you can't go. Well, yes, you can't go because you can do whatever you want to do. But I don't. It's hard for me to go to a community event. And recommend somebody spending sixty thousand uh, dollars on a solar power system, you, you know, when some of these people can't even afford, you know, to keep their refrigerator full of milk. Well, th- actually, you brought up a good point, and that's something that we actually been checking out uh, for our story. If you have solar power in your house, that doesn't mean that that solar power is going to be available if there's a public safety power shutoff, because most solar systems are connected into your panel your house and the the idea is that you can sell this extra solar power to the utilities if you're not using it well if the power shut off those the panels are meant to shut off everything so you may not have any access to your solar power if there's a public safety power shut off so we've talked to some of the solar companies and because of this potential they actually are getting customers calling saying, hey, can my solar power system be retrofitted so that there's a, a extension cord plug-in that I could maybe get some of that solar power off my roof. Uh, they Now they make, uh, instead of a gas generator or diesel generator, I've seen some battery solar systems, you know, almost like a generator. You can roll it out to your backyard, pop these panels open, and get power that way it those are made really more for like uh rvs uh traveling and stuff but uh, people are starting to buy those the one advantage we're seeing also is some of these hardware stores that are selling generators i've actually heard some of them ask the people what are you going to use this for if it's for these power things you know they're giving us some discussion on the right gas can the right type of cord so that's one thing is to try to uh get the sellers to be very clear with that person buying it that, um, you know, this investment, uh, this is how you properly use it, but you are talking thousands of dollars. Yeah. And, and we need to do a better job, um, you know, talking to our, our residents as emergency managers that they look up to when we go out and speak, we, we probably should have some information and, and understand the, that process. Before we go on, we're going to take a little, little break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about how can, emergency managers really plan for these power outages. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Welcome back from that quick break. Thank you so much for uh, listening to our sponsors. And please reach out to them and, and, and tell them that you heard them here on Ian Weekly because without them, we couldn't bring you know great content like Michael talking about the power shutoff and, and lessons learned and, and what he knows because 
tell you what, you got to watch this video. It's connected down in the show notes um, and linked over there. Take a look at the videos. They're really good. Uh, he does a great job. They're really well produced as well. So, Michael, before we went on the break, we're talking about the generators and really reaching out to the public on that. And so the public obviously is looking towards us, you know, those are the professional emergency managers. What can we do uh, to be prepared for these things? And they're scared. Some of them are really frightened about what this means. What can we do, not just to plan for it? You know, we all have power shutoff plan, power outage plans, right? We're going to activate those. But what can we do to help the public be ready for these events? Well, you brought up a good point about how we do try periodically. And we've actually tried to use all the different year-round campaigns, whether it's winter awareness, summer awareness, uh, the earthquake uh, safety days, the California Flood Awareness Week, uh, even Mosquito Awareness Week, to try to keep that topic out there. You know, we, we know that uh, the generator is a, a unique thing for this particular emergency, but it really is those, those basics. And uh, most of our uh, planning and discussions with the public is having an emergency kit to run out the door in case there's an earthquake, your house is on fire. But these type of situations isn't that, you know, so your emergency kit needs to be configured a little bit more, one for being in your house for two to five days without power. So it is, it's a constant outreach. There's no way of doing it for once. People are angry also about these uh, safety uh, shutoff uh, ish potentials. So one thing we can do is is um, community awareness meetings. Uh, we talk about uh, CERT. Uh, uh, those uh, organizations can actually help also on outreach. Maybe be involved with uh, your city or county to to identify that need uh, homes that uh, may need to be reached out, but it, it's it's a constant outreach. I, I think uh, for emergency managers, we're so into high tech now. Uh, we have our social media uh, sites we want people to check in, and uh, uh, we want them to sign up for our local warning systems on their cell phones. But like this Lake Berryessa outage up in uh, Winters on June 7th, they're out of cell range. They're up in the, the, uh, the hills. Uh, out in the Delta, uh, uh, there's there's areas where there's no cell phone. So I think we've we've stepped away too much from pushing AM and FM radio, and even the uh, NOAA radio. When we talked to Weather Service, they said if a county asked them to put out a message over NOAA radio uh, because of a shutdown, uh, they would. That's what the NOAA radio is for, and most of your boaters. Uh, are involved in, uh, with the NOAA radio, but uh, there are some very inexpensive tools that people can have that would we'd be able to reach out to. So uh, going back to the AM, FM primary stations for uh, for alerting and, and updating people what's going on to the NOAA radio, that's probably one of the biggest things to step back a little bit in technology and try to get people notified. You saw that in some of the fires where people said they had no no warnings, they didn't get the message because they're out of that high technology area. So we have to just keep using these events to keep sending out that basic message of, of preparedness, 
but throw in the uniqueness of preparedness for like these power outages. You're not running out of the home down to a, a, a shelter unless you need to go there uh, because they are providing help. Uh, that's the other thing that uh, the emergency managers could do is, is find out those facilities they would allow people to come in, whether it's a cooling center or, or a warming center. Uh, are you going to provide food, water? It, does it have power? And make sure people know where they can go. The other thing that emergency managers can uh, consider in their planning, uh, like we did in San Joaquin County during these heat and freezes, is provide maybe a, a, a bus shuttle system where people can get on the bus and go to somewhere where they can get some assistance. If one city or county is, is doesn't have enough budget for that, maybe there's a way of sharing. Communities can share together to try to meet the needs of, of the communities. The other thing we saw during the heat emergencies of 2006 and 2013 is uh, people on fixed incomes were unwilling to turn on their air conditioners. Well, if there's a power outage, obviously they're not going to have that point, but people may be will, unwilling to leave their homes. So emergency managers need to decide how we're going to protect these areas and how do we tell people what will be um, how, how the, the law enforcement is going to handle security in their areas if they did decide to leave. And that was one of the things we saw in the 96 outage. People worried about civil unrest and, and uh, theft if there's no power. When we look at these plans and what we're doing specifically for our our residents, right? And going out there and giving them these great information regarding here, you can go here for cooling centers. You can go here for food and water. If you need to, you know, you, you, you might lose power for, you know, a few hours up to a few days. You know, we're asking you to do all this like crazy preparedness stuff that we haven't asked people to do in the past. Well, so, yes. Yeah, well, some of the items that they should be prepared for, we have year round try to convince them to prepare using campaigns that are established again, like earthquake preparedness, flood preparedness, winter preparedness, summer preparedness. But what we're doing here is trying to tell the people how to be prepared for a specific threat. And that's a power shutoff. On the, on the safety side, do you recommend doing like, like we would do windshield surveys, you know, of, of who's doing what. I mean, if we have people running generators like we're talking about and the fact that they might have uh, gases going into their homes or potentially fires that are starting because of this, should we be doing more proactive uh, sweeps of our community or is that overkill? Not really. Actually, one of our communities, uh, cities in San Joaquin County, that's precisely in their plans. And, and that also was one issue we addressed during Y2K is utilizing uh, security companies, uh, volunteers, uh, uh, callback firefighters and law enforcement to actually go out and extend those patrols and watch for specific things. Now, we just went through 4th of July, all these cities uh, and counties were putting up drones and, uh, and going out and looking for illegal fireworks use. So it's almost the same approach. You're going out and you're looking in your communities and you know the areas that there may be low income or places that uh, people are more shut-ins that uh, is a, a targeted area uh, to to enhance your awareness. Uh, the same city and a couple of other cities are doing the same thing. They're asking people to call in 
their name and phone number and address so that they can go out and check on them to see how they're doing. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we have, you know, some, some of us are being proactive in there and I think that the rest of us uh, should start thinking that way. So before we're getting here closer to the end and uh, before I let you go, there's a couple of, of uh, harder questions I'm going to have to ask. And uh, one is, this is, I guess, not too hard, is if somebody's looking for more information specifically on what you're doing with your outreach and your um, your videos, how can they find you? Well, uh, since I'm no longer, uh, I retired from San Joaquin County Emergency Services about a year and a half ago. Uh, so Soundings Magazine is an online magazine. That's free. You can go on and, and uh, you don't have to to pay to view our videos. So it's soundings as in, in navigation, taking soundings of your water depth, soundingsmagazine.net. And uh, part one of the power safety shutoff video is, is online now. And we're just getting ready to put on uh, part two. And we're hoping this weekend or early part of next week. And now we're looking at a part three because of this situation on the shutoff on evacuations and securing areas in the event there's a power shutoff. So soundingsmagazine.net. And there's a list of links there that uh, you can go and, and, and view and get more information. I can also, uh, if that will help, send you uh, that links page and uh, you could probably post it on, on your site. Yeah, so like I said, we'll we'll have it uh, posted in the show notes here. So if you guys are driving down the road or your pencil's not sharp right now, no fret. Go to the show notes and go ahead and click on that link, and it'll get you over there. I highly recommend watching that video. It's it's number one. It was really well done. Like I said before, it's entertaining and educational. And so if you, I would recommend you all putting that. A link on your uh, local emergency management uh, webpage for people to get more information regarding this because, like I said, well done, well well published or well produced, and, and uh, like I said, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I like to I like to make one comment uh, uh, from the all the town hall meetings I've either monitored or or talked about uh, with the attendees. People really want to know. What is the government going to do to help them? And I've seen several uh, fire chiefs and, and law enforcement and OES people struggle with that. You know, it's you can't just say you're on your own, but you have to really make sure they know what how you're planning to help them. Is it going to be local patrols? Is it to to they can call in and leave their name and and, and address uh, to make sure they know they're going to get their warning from either AM and FM radio, their cell phone, and that they sign up with their power company uh, to try to get an immediate uh, uh, warning. Also, the, again, most some counties and cities have their own code red or or YOLO alert or something like that uh, to sign up. So they, but that's what they want. They want to know what are you going to do to help us, and that could be costly. That's that is for sure on the cost side of it. So, Michael, what book? books or publication do you recommend to people that are getting into emergency management? Well, one of them is pretty old, but it was uh, when I first started emergency management in 1982, I went down to the state uh, training center and out of heck of it, I signed up for a public information uh, session 
And the instructor at the time, he recommended the book. And even though the techniques of media have changed, the, the basics in there uh, are still important. Uh, there's a newer edition, but it's called How to Peak, I'm sorry, How to Speak TV, Print, and Radio. And the author is Clarence Jones. And I happen to have third edition, but I, I understand there's newer one. But it really does talk about uh, if if the media or the public looks at you as the villain, it's how hard it is uh, to get out of that. Uh, the different techniques that media use to 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 understand what your point is, and and it really what it made me think about is that you know we're really supposed to be the advocate to help the media get the information. That's mainly what they want to do. They want to know the truth and and what you're doing uh, so that they can put out their story. The other one is called A Paradise Built in Hell, and it's by Rebecca Solnit, S-O-L-N-I-T. And personally, I liked it because one, uh, she goes through different disasters, whether it's the uh, Halifax ship explosion, World War One, uh, the uh, 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 Katrina Rita, uh, hurricanes, and it talks about what happened and how did that community try to recover? How did they use resilience to do better? It's just a really, really wonderful book. And it actually was a New York Times book review um, selection. And those are probably the two best books uh, other than Cadillac Desert. Um, which deals with Southern California's uh, water wars. That's probably my third best one that I'll always cherish. And that was, uh, the author was uh, Mark Reisner on that one. Yeah. Cadillac Desert's a great book. It's, it's, even if you're not in Southern California, it's, it's well-written and very entertaining uh, and, and educational again uh, on the, on the uh, water issues that we have here in Southern California. Well, yeah. Well, they also, he also talked about the San Francisco dam collapse that wiped out that uh, small community college down below it. But I, I know he has a second issue of that, but the first volume, the original one is, is still just a classic. Great, great books right there. Like if you could say one thing to the emergency manager, what would it be? I would say just, you know, keep your family, your, your communities informed and uh, never, uh, never show mistrust. You know, if, once you lose your credibility, you'll never gain it back. That's wise words right there. Thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you. <laughs>